Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Around the Keg Podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield, and we are two days away from the NFL draft. We've got tons of draft topics and mailbag questions to get into, but before that, how's everybody doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. Just ready to get this draft over with so I can see Trevor Lawrence in the teal and black. And uh, hopefully he pans out to be exactly what everyone says he's going to be. You know, those first round draft picks are always hit or miss, especially with the quarterbacks. And, you know, I I don't think that I can think of very many that have won Super Bowls that were first overall picks like Peyton Manning. But most guys like they kind of flop. So is is Trevor Lawrence going to break the trend? Is he going to be like the next Peyton Andrew Luck kind of guy, or or are we going to have uh, another Jamarcus Russell situation on our hands? Cool. I don't know about Jamarcus Russell situation. That that would be a tough that'd be a tough call. I don't. I feel like Jamarcus Russell, even though he was number one overall pick, I feel like he wasn't. He didn't have that hype behind him like Trevor Lawrence has. I mean, Trevor Lawrence. People are talking about him as the greatest quarterback prospect of all time. Um, even though that's that's a big name to live up to, that's still. I mean, he's a. I feel like he's a for sure product. Honestly, I mean, I hope so. But I also have been a Jacksonville Jaguar fan for the you know last twenty years, so I know exactly how this goes. Well, since nobody asked, I'm doing great. <laughs> Went to Talladega over the weekend. Turned one year older yesterday. Happy birthday! Ah, thank you, thank you. Twenty four. Happy belated. Happy belated. Twenty four. I'm 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 just waiting for for next year. So so I can do one of my favorite SpongeBob quotes. You guys know what it is. I think I know what it is. I think you know what it is, too. <laughs> 25. 25. <laughs> Keys, how are you doing? Doing pretty good, man. We actually haven't been on in a while. So I did some pretty cool stuff I haven't been able to talk about. I feel kind of sad. I went skydiving, and uh, that was awesome. Our buddy Ian pressured me into that and turned out to be totally worth it. Other than that, man, it's it's good to be back. There is no way you're getting me to jump off of a perfectly good airplane. Matt, I 100% completely agree with you on that. There is no way I am jumping out of a perfectly good airplane. There, there's, there's absolutely no way. Yeah, I saw you did that on Instagram the other day, and I was like, I was like, wait a minute. How did Ian talk keys into driving all the way down to Statesboro to jump out of an airplane? Well, I was already down there, but let's just say I kind of decided to do it while we were out the night before. So that had a little bit to do with it, but uh, it definitely, definitely uh, worth it. Definitely worth it. I would definitely do it again too. Was it really that cool? It was awesome. You don't feel like it's uh you don't you don't feel like it's high up once you get up there. It kind of just looks like a painting. It, it it's almost like the ground's not an immediate threat anymore. So you're just kind of enjoying it. I mean, what are you going to do once you get up there? You're going to not jump. No, you're going to do it. So. What how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, last couple of weeks have been pretty busy for me. Uh, work has been kind of wild. Pretty much all through April, we've had all kinds of natural disasters here with tornadoes and flooding and then uh my branch got a new building so we had to move a lot of our equipment into there and that took a little bit and some stuff like that so i've i've been grinding but on the weekends you know i've been able to get out a little bit uh nashville is pretty much fully open up they actually announced today they were getting rid of all the capacity rules and uh doing away with mass mandates for anyone that doesn't really want to have them uh which most bars here didn't really care anyway uh past couple weeks uh, we've been able to get out. Nashville's been pretty wild. The streets have actually been more packed than they were before COVID, which has been really cool to see. So you guys definitely need to get up here pretty soon. It's It's been fantastic. I also found a place that does $6 natty pitchers. I think Keys was with me when we actually found it. So uh, we've been we've been killing it there. And it's on downtown. It's downtown on Broadway. So 
it's uh it's pretty awesome nathan found that spot there there with you when he was up there didn't he yeah the only reason we even went there is because we just wanted to find a place to go watch the braves game and it's really the only sports specific bar downtown and they actually have axe throwing too but it was closed when we were there they opened it back up since then i actually ordered a bud light just a draft bud light and it was four dollars and i can't remember if it was austin or nathan they they wanted a natty draft and our bartender goes why don't you just get a pitcher it's only six dollars and the draft is four dollars and he was like six dollars he was like oh yeah and i looked at her i was like you could have told me they had a six dollar picture I, I was like how much is this draft she goes oh four bucks i was like oh my gosh hey that was the same bartender that didn't even know the braves were a baseball team yeah she asked us what sport that the braves played i mean she she was really nice or she actually wasn't super nice but she was pretty cool worked at a sports bar she, didn't yeah. know what baseball was. she wasn't the brightest was she a blonde was. yes mm. <laughs> that, expl- she was a that explains it but anyway we'll roll on <laughs> We're going to roll on into some draft topics. Um, one thing that's really been um, all over social media is the Julio Jones trade rumors. Um, the Falcons have been talking about potentially trading Julio. Um, it sounds like they wouldn't do it until after the draft, so it's not like it's not going to happen anytime soon. But uh, what do you guys think about these? I think it would be very dumb for the Falcons to trade Julio Jones. He He is easily their best receiver they've ever had. And, you know, yeah, he's getting a little up there in age, but he's still one of the better receivers in the in the National Football League. I'm not trading Julio Jones. Um, I would even keep Matt Ryan just to see how this this year goes with this new head coach. Why? Why do so much changing when you have a new head coach? It's just a a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Like you're either going to have to trade Julio and try and win every game 47 to 27. Or you're going to keep Julio and try and win every game 47 to 27. I think that you've got a better chance with him than without him if you're the Falcons. I mean, I, I don't really see why they would do that. And one of the things that I heard was like they would trade him and then draft Kyle Pitts. Like, why would you do that? Why would you trade the proven, you know, generational type of wide receiver for a guy that, I mean, he's a freak of an athlete, but he hasn't proven anything yet in the NFL. I mean, that's a, it's still a jump that you have to make to the NFL and you have to show the success there. I'll tell you why, Matt, and I wouldn't do it, but I understand why they're kind of talking about it. It's because Julio Jones takes up so much of the cap room. And if we were to trade Julio for some draft assets, we could add on. If we were, if we were going to rebuild, the Falcons want to rebuild the team with Arthur Smith and the new coaching staff. It's honestly a smart move because even if we get Kyle Pitts, we're adding in a new guy that's potentially going to be our number one, probably going to be our number one target, um, either him or Ridley, and the other one will be number two. Um, and then moving Julio would, would bring in a lot of stuff for us to build on in the future. But um, all those younger guys, the guys we'd be drafting, that gives us that five-year window that a lot of people need. Um, like most of these Super Bowl teams, they don't really win where they're signing a bunch of top players anymore. They win from having a good draft and having low cap space along with like one or two, maybe three or four or whatever of highly signed players, like star players that are proven. Um, so I, I think that's kind of the route they're, they might be looking at if they're actually going to do this. But to me, I don't believe this is going to happen. I don't think the Falcons would ever trade Julio Jones. He's just meant too much to the franchise. Uh, I think he is... Not, I mean, I think he's been the best receiver since he's been in the league. Um, I mean, obviously, there's guys like Calvin Johnson, you could argue, that have been better um, when he was in the league. But um, I think Julio, when, when, it's all said, when it's all said and done, will be one of the better receivers, if not the best receiver of all time. So um, I'd be very surprised if they traded him. 
So you mentioned rebuilding. I've heard some people talking about um, trading off both Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. Or if you don't trade Julio Jones, you trade Matt Ryan and make way for rebuilding in the quarterback side of things. What do you, what do you think the odds are there of, of uprooting just the entire team at this point? Yeah, you know, I I feel like if you're going to if you're going to do that, then you, you're going for your 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 gut says you're going to get Fields at four, and not Lance because I mean I don't know everyone talks about Trey Lance and like you know the the upside that he's got, but I mean they did the same thing with Carson Wentz, they did the same thing with RG three. They did the same thing. Like the, it seems like every year, there's always these quarterbacks that they throw into the conversation that are like you know these mobile type guys that have the arm strength, they've gotten the wherewithal, they you know they check all the boxes to be NFL quarterbacks. So I, I feel like Fields would have to be there at four for the Falcons in order to even consider doing that, and then they're going to have to take Fields and then trade Ryan, trade Julio, um, and they can't even do that until June. So it's not like they're going to get a lot of draft a- assets this year. And I think I sent you guys a thing earlier this week about where Cleveland trades the gets four picks or five picks from Atlanta for the draft pick that became Julio Jones, and all four of those guys are out of the league already. Yeah, four of the five. So does it does it really matter? Does draft like you know all these teams that try and get all the draft capital? The Jaguars have done it for years. They've been a top ten pick, I think, at least. 10 out of nine or 10 out of the last 11 or 12 drafts. I mean, they've been a top pick and it, it it's like, you've got to hit on every pick. Look at the Browns. I mean, the Browns have been in the top 10, what it seems forever and they never can really get it right. So, I mean, it's, it's really hard to build a team that way. And then you've got teams like the bucks who they get Tom Brady in the off season. They sign a B they sign all these guys. Gronk comes out of retirement and then it's like, all right, well they went from being a third place team in the NFC South to a legit Super Bowl contender and they won it. Yeah, and uh, we've seen that same thing from the Raiders, Matt. As you were saying, like they're traded, they traded away like all their best players, like Amari Cooper and, and uh, Khalil Mack, back uh, right when Gruden was on, getting hired on. Um, and what have they turned that into? I mean, they've gotten some really good players. Josh Jacobs has been a huge, uh, huge pickup for them. Um, I mean, they they got Henry Ruggs last year, but they they haven't done anything. They haven't made the playoffs. They haven't really even. I mean, they've kind of sniffed at it a little bit, but not much. Um, they've definitely not made a lot of noise since then. And, um, and now that all those picks have been made and, and even though a lot of those picks I've liked, it's, they're still not doing anything. And, um, they probably would have been better off just keeping the guys they had than going and taking those other picks. But, um, one reason, one reason I think it's kind of been like this too. Um, don't let me get into a rant here, but one thing I, I think it's kind of been like this too, is I think the league has shifted to where picks 15 or 20 on, are pretty much all similar. Like you're not the player you're picking in the top 20 or like 20 to like 32 in the first round is not going to be that much worse than a player you pick up in the second round or third round nowadays. It's pretty, it's like at the end of the first round, you're not going to get a lot of guys that are that much better than the rest of the draft. Now in the top 15 picks, top 10 picks, you're going to get some absolute studs. Um, Usually there's like an elite class nowadays, and then there's like a whole giant class behind them that's like potential starters. And that's like end of first round up till the end of third round. Um, And obviously a lot of people end up getting some good guys in the fourth round as well. But um, I think you could, you could blame, you could blame the, uh, blame the shift in talent, the increase in talent for a lot of the reasons. I guess that kind of, I mean, that, that, that really just, 
you know, in a, in a weird way that kind of confirms everything. I mean, like what we were just talking about, the Raiders was a great example. They start six and two, two years in a row and finish seven and nine. They go one and seven in their last games. The NFL's a grind. And a lot of these players that are coming out, they don't know what that grind is yet. And, you know, draft capital, it, it, it's either a boom or a bust. And there's really no in between anymore. I mean, you get guys like, um, golly, I can't even, uh, Edwards E. Lair for the, for the Chiefs last year, who they got at 32, who most people had him as a second or third rounder, but it filled the team need. So you see those teams like, you know, 25 on, uh, they're just filling team needs that they feel like guys that can come in and make an impact right then, even if that guy's not necessarily a first round grade. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on. And I mean, you can even look at, like, that's a good example with Alaire. I mean, look at DeAndre Swift got taken in the second round. Um, I'm trying to think of, who's the other big running back that year? J.K. Dobbins was taken in the second round for the Ravens. I'd say those two were as good, if not better, than Alaire. And, and Alaire was a first-round pick. So, it's, like I said, it, it's really just not that big a gap anymore. It's The talent gap has just gotten so close. So, speaking of talent gaps... This whole week, people have been trying to figure out who the San Francisco 49ers are going to take at number three. Mac Jones or Justin Fields? Or maybe the guy from North Dakota State, Trey Lance. Who do you guys think the 49ers should take at number three? Who should they take? Justin Fields. So you you think they should take Justin Fields. Matt, who do you think? Justin Fields. Who do you think, Matt? They should take Justin Fields at three. And I honestly think they will. I think a lot of... There's been all kinds of rumors running around. People are saying... Shanahan is deciding between Mac Jones and Trey Lance. Mac Jones was his guy from the beginning, and since he's kind of been talked out of it a little bit, maybe going towards Trey Lance. I would understand them trading up to three a little bit more if they take Lance because he does have a lot of upside. I'm not a big fan of him. I don't really think he's going to pan out. I think he has a shot to. I think it depends on his situation, and I think the 49ers would be a good situation for him down the road, um, especially if they let him sit behind Garoppolo for at least a year. Um, but if it's Mac Jones at three, I think them moving up was a horrible, horrible decision. If you listen to analysts like David Pollack, he is he's hell bent on the notion that the 49ers are going to take Mac Jones at three. If the 49ers take Mac Jones at three, I think it would be a huge mistake. However, Mac Jones does fit Kyle Shanahan's system. He, oh, I agree. he he's like Matt Ryan. You know, he's he's not going to wow you with his athleticism, but he's going to put the ball where it needs to go, and he's going to be able to run that bootleg play action type of stuff that Kyle Shanahan li- likes to run. If I'm the 49ers, I'm not passing up on somebody with the talent and the and the ceiling that Justin Fields has. I think it's just you, you have to draft somebody with that type of ceiling. I mean, I agree, and I've been a, I've been a huge, you know, stand for Mac Jones, and I still think he's going to be a good pro. But I also think it depends on the situation that he's around. And I think being around Shanahan would be good for him. But I don't necessarily think that the Niners have all the pieces around him to be successful right off the bat. And in this league, when you're a top three or four pick, you have one year. I mean, you really have one year. Josh Rosen was a top ten pick, and then he struggles with a terrible coach in Arizona. Didn't really have much help around him, and he struggles, and he's been a – a practice quarterback for the past couple years. So I think that I don't understand why you would trade up to three for Mac Jones, because I still feel like he would have been there uh, when they wanted him. Um, Or if they even wanted to move up just a little bit to, to go for it. But I mean, 
I think that if you trade up to three, you're telling me that you're going with the guy with like with, with the upside and the ceiling of Fields and Lance. Uh, I don't think that you're going for Mac Jones, who I, again I think he has all the the attributes to be a really good pro, and you know I, I think that he's got the he's just got the it factor, and and a lot of NFL coaches have talked about that in seeing him, uh, but I, I don't necessarily think that he's got the he doesn't have the upside that everyone talks about with a with a Fields or a Lance. I'm still on that train that I I just don't see what everybody else sees about Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is going to be a career backup. This guy had the Heisman Trophy winner, Waddle, a whole other list of talented receivers, Najee Harris, a whole you know uh, stable of running backs to choose from, a defense that was stout, and people are like, oh, just, just watch his tape. His tape t- tells you everything you, you need to know. Just, just look where he places the ball. His receivers are, are are wide open. There's there's nobody within 20 yards of this guy. It, it's easy to, to to throw to somebody who's wide open. Uh, somebody uh, uh, the other day said, "How many times do Al- did Alabama receivers have to make you know spectacular catches? Not that often. Well, obviously not that often because they're so wide open. You know, he's not having to to work as hard to to put these passes in in tight situations. I think he's going to be a career backup. I mean, I see what you're saying. And I, I understand the whole – he had the receivers. Tua Tungvaloa had a better wide receiver room. He had the same running back room. He had Jerry Judy and he had uh, Henry Ruggs along with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. And Mac Jones put up better QBR numbers than Tua. And, I mean, it, it, so I, I I understand the notion that you're coming from. But, uh, I mean, there were a lot of throws that Mac Jones made whenever there were players that were in coverage that, that were really good throws. Like, like, like every quarterback does. But to say that, that, he, that he's, he's just so fantastic, like, like, of course, every college quarterback is, is, is going to make some throws that wow you. But it, Mac Jones, he's just not doing it for me, man. Just not doing it for me. I think Mac's a good quarterback. Um, I mean, we've had this conversation pretty much every single week during the regular season before the playoff. But they... He's a good quarterback. He's, he does have a lot of talent around him. He did have a lot of talent around him. Um, he had Nick Saban around him. Um, he had more talent than anybody else in the country. Um, he, I mean, he played for Alabama. But, I mean, you got to give the guy credit. I mean, he's a workhorse. Obviously, he's a good teammate. He's a good leader. Um, I think that's something that people don't really look at as much when they're drafting a quarterback anymore, and I think they should. Um, that was one thing with Baker Mayfield I really like coming out, and I think you're starting to see it pay dividends for the Browns as they made the playoffs this year. Um, I do agree though. I just don't think that Mac Jones has much higher of a ceiling than he's already at. He's, he's a good quarterback. He was probably, he was probably the best quarterback in the regular season of college football this year. You know, the Steelers have, have four, four quarterbacks on their roster. They have Big oh Ben, Mason Rudolph, Josh Dobbs, and Dwayne Haskins. Four quarterbacks. Big Ben needs to, Big ben needs to retire. Time, it's time for him to retire. I, I thought he was going to retire last year. Remember uh, after the Browns beat him too. in the playoffs, he was sitting I thought he would too. Yeah, I thought he was going to retire. He's too stubborn. He's too stubborn. He wants one more go. I was going to say, Sam Bradford's a perfect example of what I was talking about, where it all depends on the situation you go God, to. God, yeah. Like, yeah. Sam Bradford had a huge upside, and then just the team that he got put horrible. on. Just, Absolutely it, it horrible. It was terrible. So, so, so whenever you have that happen, like that, that's why I feel like 
Mac Jones to a team like the Patriots or later yeah. would, would be a good quarterback I'm with because you. he would have the pieces around him versus Mac Jones to a team earlier in the draft that doesn't have any pieces. He's going to struggle, but any quarterback does. I mean, literally, that it, it, it doesn't matter where they played, what you know, what school they came from, what system they played in college. If you don't have any pieces around you, you struggle. And I still think Sam Darnold's got to be a he's got potential to be a really good quarterback there in Carolina. Sam Darnold is the winner of the draft. I'm just I'm just going to throw it out there. He went from a really bad situation with the Jets to a team that is trending upwards with a great coach. And the Carolina Panthers, I, I, Sam Darnold needed that because I, okay, I, I was, I'm on record for saying I didn't, I don't like Sam Darnold. I don't think he's that good, but now that he's, he's going to have the opportunity to, to play for a better team. Let's see what he does. I'll say this as a Falcons fan. I am actually kind of excited that he's playing for the Panthers. Cause I don't like, I think he's good. I think he does have potential, but I still think, I mean, it's the same stuff that we were kind of seeing from him in college. I mean, he had his really, he had a really good year, his junior year uh, when they went and beat Penn state in the Rose bowl, but his senior year, when they played Ohio state, he really, he was good. He just turned the ball over so much. He just made a lot of really dumb decisions. And I don't really think that Matt Rule is going to be able to work that out of him. He's got, he's got some good weapons. I mean, Christian McCaffrey's obviously a beast. He's one of the best players in the NFL. DJ Moore is okay. Um, besides that, I mean, I honestly couldn't tell you, who is on that team. I mean, Ryan Anderson might still be a receiver over there. He had a pretty good year last year. Besides that, I don't know who he's going to be throwing the ball to. So, Plus, their, their defense is going to struggle, too. But now they have an opportunity. They can go draft oh, yeah. a wide receiver, or if Kyle Pitts is there, Kyle Pitts, and they don't have to worry about, you know, that, that adds another weapon to the game, and this receiver draft is so deep, they could even wait until the second round to do that. I mean, the, the, especially at the slot. Like, you've got guys like Rondell Moore from Purdue who's been jumping up boards, but he had, he had a heck of a pro day. So, I mean, they, they can fix those issues. Sam Darnold's only, like, 23. Like, people forget that. Like, this dude's 23, and he's he's been – now has the experience of being an NFL quarterback, and now he doesn't have to perform in front of the big media in New York City. He's in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I feel like a lot of that can – can help your mentality too. just going from a bad situation. It was a dumpster fire. He had a terrible head coach in Adam Gase. And now you get Matt rule who did an awesome job at Baylor. And then I thought he did a pretty good job last year with Carolina with what they had uh, all things considered. So, I mean, give him an opportunity. And I really think that he could, I agree with Lando. I think he could be the winner of the draft. I mean, and, and ultimately as unfortunately, if you're a Falcons fan, that means that I think that Carolina got a steal there. Because now they don't even have to worry about drafting a quarterback. Well, see, I think I think it was a good decision for Carolina to go and get Darnold because of where they're positioned in the draft. Um, the top four quarterbacks are probably going to be off the board by the time they it gets down to that number eight pick, just with the way the draft's fallen this year. And for them, I mean, even if they got somebody at eight, I think whoever they would have gotten at eight would have been worse than Sam Darnold if they just took a quarterback. So, and they still have Teddy Bridgewater. So, like worst case scenario. If Sam Darnold is terrible, then they just don't play him, let him sit for a year, try and develop him, and let Teddy continue to run that offense pretty in an average rate, which which is fine. I mean, it's it's not that bad. So I just saw a picture on Instagram. It was um I think it was old row. Uh it was a picture of Joe Burrow and the caption was How do you say you know who you're drafting without saying you know who you're drafting? And the the picture had Joe Burrow 
and then it, and then it, uh, the second picture was a close up of his knee had a giant scar from where they did surgery. And I'm thinking, yeah, that that's an easy one for the Bengals. You draft a tackle, you have to. Yes, yes, I completely agree. I think there's a good chance that um, Pine Sewell ends up falling to them. He's the left tackle for. Uh, Oregon, he was one of the best players in college football two years ago. He sat out last year. Otherwise, he probably would have been one of the best players in college football last year. Um, he's on, he's unbelievable. I think he's getting a lot of hate recently. Um, and I think a lot of that is because he did sit out last year and I think people are kind of starting to overlook him. Um, but to me, I think he's by far the best tackle in the draft. I think he's one of the better tackles that I've seen come through the draft in the last three or four years. So um, if he doesn't go to Atlanta, which I think, I think the Falcons have a good chance to pick him um, if we don't end up with a quarterback, but if he doesn't go to Atlanta, then I think he's for sure going to Cincinnati, which Burrow needs that big time. Well, all right, guys, let's go ahead and move on to our mailbag questions. Um, We don't have a ton of them this week, but we'll go ahead and start with Chad S underscore five, two nines questions. This one is where do you stand on Mike Gundy's spring seven on seven idea? What do y'all think? I'll I'll listen to his, to uh, his, interview he did with the press i thought the idea is freaking stupid it's it's a dumb idea in, in my opinion i think it would be kind of cool to see because you'd get some it, it, you know you get to see some matchups in the spring uh against teams that you know you don't really normally get to see like if you did some sec big 12 acc sec matchups like i feel like it would be kind of cool to see but at the end of the day like seven on seven football doesn't really show you anything i mean it's it's just an offensive Shoot out. That's really all it is. And so, I mean, you know, I, I think it would be cool to see in the sense of you you get to see guys from teams that you don't normally get to see scrimmage against yours. But, you know, what's wrong with the way that we've always done it with the with the spring games? I mean, you've already got guys that are opting out of games that aren't counting towards the regular season anyway, like bowl games. So I don't know that I think that those same players would put themselves at risk for a seven on seven tournament. I just don't see the incentive there. And I, I see a bunch of people sitting out. You might get the B teams kind of playing around with each other, but it's a fun idea. Uh, I, I like seven on seven. It, it was fun to play in high school, but I'm not necessarily, you know, super excited to watch college football teams play it, especially if it's their backups because their starters are saving themselves for the NFL. We already see spring games get cut down from four-quarter spring games to maybe an hour and a half worth of football. Why would players want to put themselves at more risk playing seven-on-sevens that are absolutely meaningless? Yeah, I don't think we will. I don't think that's something that will ever happen. Um, I think it would be cool just to have something to get us through football season, kind of just through the offseason. Y'all are right. I mean, guys aren't going to play. Um, it'd be cool to get, get to see some of the freshmen, especially like the early enrollees and stuff, just kind of get a chance to see what they can do with like some smaller B team kind of stuff. But we but we see that in the spring game every year. So it, it's still meaningless. And to me, I have always been a big fan of the spring game. I like the inter-squad kind of matchup. It's a good way to kind of start off the year. That's just my take on it. So I I'm not a huge fan, even though I would be if, – if it happened, I'd, I'd watch it and I'd, I would enjoy it. And if it's something that happened, that would be really cool. But um, I don't think it's ever going to happen. Don't worry, Whit. We always have baseball season to go through the offseason. Yeah, except for when the Braves suck. We'll go ahead and move on to the next question. Um, <laughs> Chad's next question is, does the state a recruit plays in affect his college career? Yes, in the sense that some states suck at football and other states are really good at football. 
It's it's that simple. A player that is you know plays his high school football in Missouri is not going to be as good as a player that plays his high school football in Texas. It's just that simple. Yeah, the old adage of iron sharpens iron applies here. You get to see what a kid like you know if you've got a four star receiver who's going up against four and five star DBs every week, they're obviously going to be proven. If you've got a guy who's in you know Indiana and he's rated as a four star. He, you know, the the DBs that he's going up against may not match up. So he got his four star rating from going to these showcase camps where it's basically a seven on seven and you just show off your athleticism and, and run all over the place. So uh, I think it does have a lot to do. And, and you see that in the recruiting. It's Georgia, Florida, Texas, California. That's where the, the best players come from every year. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, we've seen examples like Jacob Eason going to Georgia. I mean, he coming out, he was the number five ranked player, number two quarterback. Um, but he was coming out of Washington. He, he, I mean, even mentally, he thought he was the big dog. He thought he was this elite player. He thought he was going to come in and start immediately and be an all-star. And I mean, he had a good year when he played for Georgia, but I mean, you saw what SEC teams did to him right when he came in. He thought he was the big dog and um, he didn't know what to do with all that speed. So I think once he, I mean, he even came in. You could tell he was cocky, um, but after he kind of got his kind of got his uh, head kicked around a little bit and got some off off time and got to go play for Washington, I think he kind of he kind of turned it around a little bit. But you see this from guys all the time from from states like Washington or something where there's not a ton of ton of talent. Um, they're just kind of getting by, beating up on the little guys, um, and they come in and then and they struggle against the big dogs. But um, yeah, I definitely think I definitely think it plays a plays a factor for sure. Well, like, and we even uh, experienced something as small as like playing, you know, like intramural football or something in, in college. You know, obviously we weren't, you know, top recruits coming out of high school. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this right now. But you know, even even coming from where the kind of ball we played, we would go play like intramural pickup games, and those guys, some of those guys are just bad. But I think we just realized that like coming from the guys like Leno and I had to play against um, a bunch of teams that had five stars every week. You know, we had Chuma Adoga. We played against Taj Griffin, who went to Oregon, uh, Julian Rochester, a bunch of big names that we had to play every weekend. And that, that really just does make you better. So when you're playing, you know, 1A private school in South Dakota somewhere, you're not really getting the same type of preparedness as you would if you were playing against people that, that forced you to become better. Hey, guys, we have breaking news. Did y'all see this? Logan Paul versus Floyd Mayweather. Wait, is that official? Yep, it's agreed. A fight that will take place in Miami on June 6th. Oh, that's my dad's birthday. This fight is going to go one way. It's going to go <laughs> it, 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 it's going to go all 12 rounds. Floyd Mayweather will allow Jake Paul to win 3 rounds. It'll be the early rounds, and then Floyd will do what Floyd does. He will box his way into another win. That that's how it's yep. and and both both fighters are going to make a ton of money because it's going to go all 12 yep. rounds. That's how the fight's going to go. But if you think Jake Paul is going to knock out Floyd Mayweather, <laughs> you're 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 f-ing crazy. <laughs> There's no chance. I I just I I don't even want people to buy it because I'm sick of hearing the Paul brothers out there. Like if no one know. buys that crap, and and I know everyone does it because they're like, oh, I hate Jake Paul. I want to get it, see him get knocked out. Like stop buying it, and guess what? He'll go away. Like he's he's the ultimate internet troll. Well, so I'm more than positive this fight is going to be promoted by the money team so i'm definitely going to be buying this fight just because tmt the money team floyd mayweather i love floyd mayweather he is the best boxer the greatest boxer of all time undefeated and he's going to be 
uh, what's he? He's fifty and zero right now. He's gonna be fifty one and zero after he beats Jake Paul. Wait, it's, it's Logan Paul. Logan Paul. Oh yeah, Logan Paul's his brother. Yeah, Floyd was already scheduled to fight Logan Paul, so that's yeah. That's oh, not, I not, didn't know that. Surprise. That's not a surprise. Jake Paul's the one that um, knocked out that that high school teacher uh, like a week ago. <laughs> And, it was a high school teacher. And he also knocked out Nate Robinson. He knocked which, out Nate Robinson. I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, listen, listen. Like, people are saying, oh, why do you keep moving the bar on, on Jake Paul? You, you, you said, oh, he's, he's fighting these YouTube stars. He needs to fight a real athlete. So he goes and fights a real athlete. Oh, he, he needs to fight uh, an actual fighter, not a, not a basketball player. Oh, and then he goes and fights a, MMA, a washed-up MMA guy. Like, listen, we're moving the bar because he's a boxer who should be – fighting boxers like he shouldn't be fighting five five nate robinson he shouldn't be fighting a, a high school washed up mma you know fighter like come on f- fight an actual boxer yeah i agree i agree well that logan paul kind of takes the hype out of that i thought it was i thought it was jake paul but takes the hype out of it that i think i think the logan paul guy a was, was the youtube dude that uh he was the, the, that was in japan or something like that that's that one fella it is what it is well let's get back to the show we'll go ahead and get into Kissler underscore 106 questions. His first question is, will players that transfer due to playing time be successful in the NFL? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think, I mean, the, the, the NFL is a cutthroat business. It, it, it is run like a business. If you get there and you don't perform, then you get the boot. Um, I think you need to have that same cutthroat mentality. So I don't think that players who transfer just due to playing time will be very successful in the NFL because it's just, they don't have that that will to that that work ethic that players who like Baker Mayfield had to walk on at two different schools who have drive and who who really want to be there you know I don't think they'll have that same success I don't think it is all dependent upon the situation like Justin Fields transferred from Georgia due to playing time doesn't matter what he said and I still think he could be successful in the NFL um I mean I think that could be part of the reason that he's looked at as work, his work ethic not being great, though, by when that comes out, because it's like, you know, oh, well, you were scared to compete with Jake Fromm. What means you're not, you know, what are you not going to be scared to compete with Jimmy Garoppolo? Um, I mean, whether or not that's something that should be taken seriously or not, I feel like that, you know, is something that gets asked about guys that transfer uh, over playing time. Um I mean, I think it depends on the situation. Uh, sometimes these kids get to a school and they think that they're going to be the top dog and they realize that everyone at their position group was all region, all state, all conference, all whatever. And then, you know, now you're going to be just one of many. And they don't like the idea of competition. They're still really good. Uh, and they still could pan out. So I think it just depends on the situation. Oh, I completely agree with you, Matt. I mean, guys like Justin Fields, I, Justin's going to be a good player. Whether he's going to be like all-time superstar or just like a really good starter for a couple years is the only question for me. I think he's going to at least be good. Um, But then you have guys like Tate Martell, who was a big-time recruit, went to Ohio State, competed for a couple years, couldn't beat out anybody, transferred instead of competing with Justin Fields when he got, when he transferred in and just let Justin take his spot and left them high and dry at backup quarterback and went to play for Miami where he couldn't compete again and couldn't make the squad. And, he transferred again, and now he's going to be playing for his third team in his uh, college career. So guys like that, that like obviously Tate Martell now is not going to be a good NFL quarterback. If he does, it's going to be just like an incredible comeback story. 
but he's not. And there's tons of stories like that where people, they're just, they just don't get it. They just won't compete for it. They don't want to work hard. They just want to go and try and find an easier opportunity for him. For Justin, it was a little bit different. I mean, he went from like a really good college football team to a another really, really good college football team. It, you're right. It, it's all dependent upon the player. But we'll move on to the next question. Um, this is our last question. This one is great college linebackers for each of y'all's favorite teams. I guess he just wants us to list linebackers from like, our favorite teams. Like all time. Yeah, like all time. All time best linebackers. Mine's easy. The boss! Brian Bosworth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> all time best linebacker for Georgia. Inside linebacker, I think Roquan Smith is the best we've ever had. Really? Roquan? Yeah, I Really? Do. That really? Yeah, I mean, who's what inside linebacker from Georgia? Do you know he's been better than Roquan Smith? Now, outside linebacker, know. that might be a little bit different. I don't know. I mean, but we've had some stud outside linebackers. And how can we forget about our very own Georgia Southern Eagle, Ukime Aligwe? I'd say Ironhead Gallon, but we'll take that as well. <laughs> <laughs> he was a stud just for the name. He got drafted too, I'm pretty yeah. sure, or they signed both, with somebody. They both did. Ukime Aligwe played for the Chiefs. Does he still play? He plays for the Raiders. Hmm. All right, guys, let's get into our pour one out, cut them off segment. Lando, who are you pouring one out for? This week, I am pouring one out for the Talladega Super Speedway. As I said earlier, I went to the race this weekend, and it was the first time I've been to the race since 2019. Couldn't go last year because of obvious reasons, the pandemic, but it was just really awesome to be back in the stands in our usual seats, sitting next to all the fans, all the NASCAR fans, get to watch the race. The weather was perfect. Uh, the drive there was awesome. The Really, the worst part was was leaving the track because uh, uh, of all the traffic. But other than that, everything was awesome. Spent a lot of money because, you know, you have to when you go to a NASCAR event. You got to buy some Kevin Harvick gear and stuff like that. But uh, it was just really awesome to be there uh, with my dad and just have a good time at the race. So pour one out for Talladega Super Speedway. And this week, I am cutting off MLB The Show 21 because I currently suck at the game. And it is very frustrating, and I really need to figure it out before I throw my controller through the TV. So that's who I'm cutting off this week. Matt. I am pouring one out this week for the UFC. Um, UFC had an awesome lineup this weekend of fights. Uh, Prayers for Chris Weidman, man. I don't know if y'all saw that nasty leg injury. I probably watched it like seven times. He kicks the guy in the shin, it breaks. He didn't even realize it until he tried to, like, stand up on it, and it just folded like cardboard. It was disgusting, but um, prayers prayers up for Chris Weidman because that is just brutal injury. Shout out to UFC, though, for having full capacity indoors in Jacksonville. It was it looked like an awesome, uh, awesome experience. I just want to say that isn't it ironic that Chris Weidman suffered a leg injury in the way he did, and when he fought Anderson Silva the second time, that's how Anderson Silva suffered the same injury doing one of those shin kicks. Yeah. It's ironic. Yeah. So, I mean, and apparently uh, the last guy that Uriah Hall, who Chris Weidman fought uh, on Saturday, was Anderson Silva. Wow. So, really weird coincidence there. But, yeah, I, I thought the same thing because I was watching the Anderson Silva fight when it happened. Yeah, same. And, I mean, that was gross. And then this one was bad. So, it was like, holy cow. But Chris Weidman tweeted that he'd be back in, I think, uh, 8 to 12 months, something like that. Um, good for him because I feel like if something like that happened to me, I'd be like, you know what? Time to hang up the old gloves and um, save my body. Some important one out for the UFC. It, 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 great card. Uh, Masvidal got rocked. And seeing the sweat come off of him, like you saw a soul. 
leave his body, and it was awesome. Um, great, great, great lineup there. Um, I am cutting off the Braves pitching, uh, every element of the Braves pitching, starters, relievers, closers. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, the Braves have been so frustrating this year to watch, uh, starting off with, you know, losing to the Phillies. And then they have the, the replay call that goes bad. And then suddenly if they score eight runs, they give up seven or eight. Um, if they don't score, they still give up five or six. Uh, just not a great weekend. The doubleheader, they had 14 innings. They got one hit. The bullpen was atrocious. The starters were atrocious. So the Braves pitching's got to get cut off. And AA, you got to fix it. There's a guy named Shane Green. He's yes. uh, sitting out there as a free agent. Should give him a call. You know, I I know I'm no MLB GM, but uh, the bullpen's this bad. Go get help. Wit, who you pour one out for? Hey, Matt, I'd hire you as my GM. I appreciate that. Especially if you're going to sign Shane Green. Uh, but I'm going to pour one out for Trevor Lawrence because as all these people are stressing out about the draft, Trevor Lawrence is sitting back in his chair. He's enjoying his time with his family and his new wife. Is and uh, he's just sitting there waiting to get picked number one overall. I think that is like the that's the best place to be in in the world right now. Um, I mean, he's already donating money to Jacksonville foundations. He's with talking to the coaching staff already. He's probably already at practice, to be honest. But he's set. I mean, he knows what's going on. He doesn't have to worry at all. I've I've definitely uh, I definitely envy the guy. But I'm going to be pouring one out for the San Francisco 49ers uh, for training up to number three. And then having all these rumors swirl around that they plan on taking Mac Jones or Trey Lance. Um, to me, like I said earlier, it, it's just not a good move to me. Um, especially if you already have Jimmy Garoppolo in your roster, who I'm not a big fan of, but I don't think he's that much worse than what Mac Jones and Trey Lance are going to end up being. Um, so unless they end up taking Justin Fields and they're just throwing around rumors or end up with Zach Wilson somehow, um, I think just not a good move for San Francisco. I think it's going to end up hurting them in the long run. Keys, you pour one out for. So I'm going to continue with baseball here, and I never thought I'd say this, but I'm going to pour one out for the Oakland A's, who have won 15 of their last 17 games after losing six in a row to start the season, and they had a long streak of 13 wins in a row. It was a pretty impressive stint there, and and then they they lost one and they came back and won, I think their game yesterday. So good for the uh, good for the Oakland A's. Finally getting some good things going on over there. Maybe they'll get their new stadium soon and it won't be such a crap hole. And then I'm going to cut off the MLB replay system. It's a horribly broken system. We've seen a number of times this season already. The the umpires are kind of just strutting around showing their stuff and and not really being held accountable for their calls. You got the Braves versus the Phillies where Alec Bohm still hasn't touched home plate. You've got the Oakland A's versus the Rays where Elvis Andrus should have been called safe. And you've got the Yankees versus the Orioles where Coach Boone got denied his replay altogether for some sort of timing issue or, or whatever. But either way, the umpires are out of control, so they need to be cut off. Shout out to Oakland A's relief pitcher, J.B. Wendelkin. P- grew up with him, played baseball with him my whole life. Oh, that's so, cool. Uh, shout out to J.B. Picked up one of the Oakland uh, pitchers the other day for my fantasy team. Yeah, it was a, it was a guy that I, that I dropped. He's terrible. He did pretty good for me. Enjoy him. I know he had a good outing for you, and then you dropped him. I dropped him. I got what I needed. <laughs> I keep track of the, the waiver wire. I will say, I the game, the day that they lost their streak, I was hanging out with Danny. I think it was Saturday, and Danny had never seen Moneyball before, and it was on TV. So we watched like 
not the entire thing, but like kind of from like the like middle-ish on to the end. And like right after the end of that game, we something popped up and said like Oakland loses thirteen in a row streak. I was like, holy cow! And, and I was just talking about. It. I was like, I bet, I bet everybody in the world was an Oakland A's fan that year when they were trying to go break the streak. I was like, I bet everybody knew that they had this long streak gone. Like it'd be so cool to see something like that again. And then I see Oakland A's lose thirteen game win streak. I was like, wow. I had no idea they had a 13-game win streak. You know, the funny thing for that movie, to me, is if you don't know your baseball history, you really feel like they're going to win at the end. And then they don't, and they never win. Yep. The first time I ever saw it, I thought they were going to win. I was like, wow, they're going to win the World Series. They did not. And then Brad Pitt stays in Oakland forever. Yes, he does. He does stay in Oakland forever, which I think is insane. Hey, Matt, I got got a question for you. You're a Red Sox fan, kind of. Why do they call Boston Beantown? Boston Baked Beans. Uh, I actually have no idea why they call it Bean Town. I've just always heard it called Bean Town. Boston Baked Beans. Boston Baked Beans. You never had Boston Baked Beans? I've had the the, the candy. Yeah, the candy. Like they're like they're like peanuts. Yeah, they're not bad. Oh, I didn't even know that. I didn't know why they were called Bean Town. I've just always heard it referred to as Bean Town. Little trivia for us Braves fans. I think was it the original name for the Braves was the Boston Bean Eaters when they started in Boston. No, I didn't even know that either. That is correct. They were the Boston Bean Eaters. I was like, I was like, Boston's called Bean Town, and I, at first I was like, did Billy Bean end up going to Boston and end up turning them around like later on, even though he turned them down in the movie, or like turned them on at that point in time? No, he didn't. Yeah, I know. I looked it up uh, Saturday. He was with Oakland his entire GM career. Yeah, and Theo Epstein came in, and he's the one that kind of turned everything around in '04. He won the. He's the one that broke the curse. He was the uh, the curse breaker. Uh, that's why him winning in Chicago with the Cubs was yep. like. You know, he, he broke the two biggest curses, or most prominent curses in baseball. And then you had, uh, after he left, they had Ben Charrington who came in and was god-awful of a GM. And then they got Dave Dombrowski from the Tigers. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, now they've got, oh, what's his name from the Rays? Shine, uh, Shine Bloom, uh, who, I mean... It, it's really it, it was a really weird concept for me that the Red Sox went for a guy like that because he's used to building a roster with very little money and now you're going to the second or third richest team in baseball like it it, it always fluctuates between them and the Dodgers and the Yankees. Cubs and, and the Yankees like the Yankees are normally always number one and then it's you know the Red Sox the Cubs or the Dodgers fill in the, the are the Cardinals Cardinals are probably usually up there too right. Uh, normally the Cardinals are like 10 or 11. They actually don't oh, wow. really do, they don't, they don't normally use that much payroll because they just, they, the Cardinals are what the Braves always were in the nineties where they, it was like you, you draft your guys, you build them up in the minor leagues in the farm system. And then by the time that they get up, they make an impact. And then whenever it comes out time for their, their deal or whatever you trade for them, maybe this year <laughs> with Nolan Arenado, that's a little different, but I mean, uh, I mean, they had like when they won the World Series, David Freese was on that team. He yep. was a third baseman, and he's the one that had the dramatic home run. And I mean, he really didn't do anything else after that. It was just like that—that's typical Cardinals. They get traded in their average. Yeah, I mean that. Like that's that. Yadier Molina is the first catcher ever to play two thousand games for one team as a catcher. Like the first catcher to ever catch two thousand games for one team. This is insane. Like you get a guy like that. That is cool. Baseball's one up the middle, and you know a guy like that that can manage a pitching staff and change a game with his arm. And I mean, you know that that's that's all you need to know about why the Cardinals are the way they are. 
Well, that's our show. Thank you guys for listening as always. We appreciate it. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show. We'll be happy to include as much as we can. Our artist of the week this week is Neutral Snap. If you're in the Atlanta area this weekend, check out their shows at the Warehouse Athens on Friday night and at Misfits Buckhead on Saturday. Here's their song, Yellow Suitcase, to play us out. Y'all have a great week. See y'all. Cause I